Why are the seven sacraments so integral to the Roman Catholic Church? What effect does this belief have upon the message of the gospel? This week on Theology Unplugged, we discuss the role of sacraments in Catholicism. I'm not sure um, I've ever, you know, thought about this uh, issue that we're going to be talking about here today with regard to the sacraments, the seven sacraments, uh, in a in a way that is in depth and and really thoughtful of trying to put these things all together with the larger scheme of things that we've been talking about. We just got done talking about the the indulgences and. Uh, we, we talked about uh, the indulgences and the connection to purgatory. And, you know, he, here's one of the things that I'm trying to put together as we're going through this series is I'm trying to put all these different puzzle pieces. And I'm, here, here's what I'm, I'm appreciating, and maybe this is something that we should do at the end of the series, what we appreciate about our own tradition now. But I'm appreciating that I'm just glad I don't have this many puzzle pieces because we now we've got seven sacraments to go through and try to fit this fit this in and you've been talking about jj this complicated web and i'm seeing this web just get more and more and more complex and uh you know i'm starting to realize why you have to have canon lawyers you know lawyers of the law within the catholic church that that study their entire life trying to figure out you know what's just the legal aspects of the faith and how it's put together but we're going, I, I understand every system's complicated. I'm not saying the Baptists, you know, can't have an office somewhere, and it's a complicated office with a lot of file drawers, and, you know, we don't know where we put things and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is these are central components to the faith that we're talking about here. And uh, believe it or not, we've talked about so many different things, but this, this thing, it, it kind of all boils down to these seven sacraments where I think— the, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think the reformers started seeing the real abuse and obscuring of the gospel coming whenever the seven sacraments became part, such an integral part of the system, a dogmatized part of the system, a, a top part of the system to where I think it was um, uh, the sentences of Peter Lombard where the, the seven sacraments became a... a, a uh, standardized across the board in the Middle Ages. Uh, and seven sacraments is what we're going to talk about here today, just to complicate. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I, I'm sorry to all of you all out here. We're continuing to complicate it, but we're trying to bring clarity to a system that is very complicated. And we're going to talk about this deal of seven sacraments. Now, first, let's start by one of you guys explaining what the seven sacraments are and giving us a basic overview like we've tried to do with the other issues. And usually that it just all goes back to sin. Everybody looks at sin. I don't know why. But. <laughs> well, the seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, as we call it, penance, marriage, ordination, and whether they call it anointing for the sick or extreme unction. So those are the seven. Initially in, uh, in the church, they only recognized two, which we as Protestants recognize two. Uh, that being, of course, uh, baptism and the Eucharist. And then, as you mentioned, Michael, uh, over the course of medieval uh, dialogue throughout the, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, several more were added. Um, for example, Peter Abelard added confirmation and extreme unction to those two. That, and that, then it came to four. And then his, one of his students added matrimony. That became five. 
And then a man named Robert Pullis, who died in around 1150, added penance and ordination. And then you're right, it was Peter Lombard in his book, The Sentences, that basically kind of put the final stamp of approval on all seven. Mm. And um, maybe the, the best way to approach this is to think about how Rome envisions the, the grace of God operating in the life of his people. Rome basically believes that for you to experience the saving and sanctifying grace of God, it is channeled through these seven actions, these seven sacraments. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't uh, live in isolation and look up to heaven and cry out to God for his mercy or his saving grace. The, the grace of God has been entrusted to the ordained clergy of a particular Roman Catholic church, and he, under the authority of Christ, dispenses the grace of God into the lives of God's people through these seven uh, realities that they call the seven sacraments. So, again, <clears throat> it's this idea that um, what, what we typically call the incarnational principle, the notion that for Rome, um, the totality of God's grace is embodied and is channeled or mediated to people through physical instruments, physical actions, namely these seven sacramental uh, realities. Distinguish this, Tim, or JJ, between, if you can, I think we talked about this last time I tried to, I'm still trying to distinguish it. Um, maybe that's what I need you guys' help. Distinguish this between the indulgences um, and, and the sacraments. What's the difference in indulgences and sacraments? Well, the way that I would see it is that I don't mean to, we have a, a web, we have puzzle pieces, but uh, I almost view it as like, <clears throat> as a website, you know, I have a web background and it's like the product is Jesus and the product is God's grace through his son, Jesus. But it's like the Roman Catholic church has exclusive distribution rights. Okay. And they've set up this site. I'm they're, they've set up the site where you receive this grace, and you can only receive it through the exclusive distribution rights of, of the church. And and so you, first you have to have a log. Let's put it positively of the body of Christ from okay, their perspective. Okay. Okay. So so first you have to log in. You know you have to have an account, and so you log in, and then you have seven. How do you get an account? So well, I'm not going to go into that right can now. You get your email, your password, email. To yeah. yeah let, let's. But here's 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 one of the keys though. Okay. There are seven menu items. Okay. okay. So there are seven menu items upon which, through the exclusive distribution, this is, this is you, too big of a web. you receive the grace. No. I so, like this. So it's just like a simple this. site with if seven. If you stopped interrupting him, he might. Be able to explain it. I, okay, so JJ, okay, what no, do you think? No, but but here, here's the thing though: is think of that though as that is w w while you're living, basically. Okay. So that's how you receive the grace right. of God while you're living is through logging in, getting the exclusive distribution rights, getting that grace of God through His Son. Uh, then, uh, then the indulgences are when you've died. Basically, and so the seven sacraments are no longer helpful to you once oh, you've died. Okay. Uh, then, uh, then now you have maybe a sub menu that you, you know, that applies to people that once they're dead, and that's the indulgences are helping other people that you love once they've died to be able to to get to heaven because everybody that enters purgatory makes it to heaven, or yourself. You know, I, I think you could have bought an indulgence for yourself as well. I would just make one qualified statement. <clears throat> I don't think it's necessarily the case that the seven sacraments no longer um, are of aid or assistance to those in purgatory because we who are still on earth, let's assume that we're Roman Catholics, we can perform acts of penance 
on their behalf. On their behalf. Yeah. And um, but they wouldn't be logging in. You'd be logging right. in. Right. We're doing them. it on yeah. their behalf. In nice. other words, in other words, I'm, we. Um, I'm tightening up my illustration here. <laughs> we can we can go and serve among the poor. We can take in orphans. We can make generous contributions to the church, as an expression of our penance for the sins that we have done. And the priest who basically says, yes, you're absolved or freed from the eternal guilt of your sin, you still have to make, um, make good on the temporal punishment. And in part, we can do that, and it can be applied to those who are in purgatory. And, okay. and I think, you know, just uh, we'll probably circle around this a couple times. This is what I want to get in the last broadcast, too, though, is that where I felt like Martin Luther just dropped a bomb. Basically, how Martin Luther crashed the website is that if he said, if that grace is there, OK, if that grace is piled up there, why does the church need you to log in? Why does the church need you to do these things? Why does the church need your money? If the church has all this at their disposal, out of love and grace, wouldn't they just give it to people through Jesus? Uh, why do you need any of these things? Uh, and, and that, I think, is the huge difference between Protestants and Catholics is it's like through a Roman Catholic, they're slowly giving you this grace, and you're hoping that by the time you die, you've made it, basically, where we're saying the death of Jesus on the cross and those who put their trust in him is of such magnitude, as Luther would say, that just out of love, wouldn't you just give it to those people who are in Jesus? Tim, I like that metaphor. It helps me. And I think I would add one that looks at it from a different facet, which helps me, because I'm always asking why. <laughs> That's just the way my brain works. Why? Well, I like to think of it as a law firm. If I run a law firm and I have... You, you can't stay inside of my right. illustration. No, I want to add to it. Okay. If, if it I run a law, law firm... website? <laughs> if I run a law firm and I have a very wealthy client, what do I want to do? I want to continually find new ways to get him to give me money. And so there's a chronological aspect to these sacraments. They've got birth, death, and everything in between cornered in the market. Um, so we're, the church is there for you when you're born, the church is there for you when you die, and the church is there for every major life milestone and spiritual need you have in between the two. And as the head of that law firm, I'm going to tell my staff, you need to go over there, you need to make sure he has a living will, you need to make sure that when his kids are born, you're handling the trust. You, you want to provide every service that they might want to pay someone for. Well, so, put, a, put it positively. I mean, instead of this if, payment idea. If they view themselves as being entrusted with the keys of the kingdom through the apostles, that they are the ones mediating the grace of God, not in a negative sense, but in a positive one, that God has entrusted them with this great stewardship, well, then they need to make sure and steward your need for grace in every context in which you might need it and at every season well, of life as, when you might need as it. As a lawyer, uh, a lawyer may, you know, say, I'm not doing this, I'm doing this pro bono, I'm doing this, uh, right. not pro bono, but my life is not about making a lot of money, but I feel like this is, this is I'm the only one who can pull this off. That's yeah. right. I'm going to be there for you in your times of greatest need. That's my job. Which, which you know, like, uh, so I'll jump into your illustration with, like, a uh, when you have someone who is an executor of a trust, that executor of a trust is not seen as an evil person. They're seen as a person that, you know what, out of grace, they didn't give you your million dollars when you were six because you would have spent it all on candy, you know. Instead, they just gave you what you needed at that time. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would see it that you, as opposed to being this mean lawyer, you're a, you're a godly executor of a trust. Okay. So we've got the seven sacraments that apply to us both here on earth and in purgatory, but that they're primary means of accessing God's grace. That is, and it's the way that God has set it up in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, um, it's, you know, why, the question of why is this is just the way that God set it up, you know, and, it, you know, we need the church to mediate for us here on the earth. We need the church to control things. We need, or control maybe 
let's put it positively, to, to steward things um, because everything will get out of control. Uh, God wanted to leave his presence here on the earth. We say, well, that's with the Holy Spirit. They say, well, it's with the Holy Spirit in energizing the church and Christ's body uh, illustrating. So we got these seven sacraments. Can we describe each one of these sacraments and, and how they play a part in this giving of grace in the salvation process? Yeah, let me let me uh, mess things up because these two guys have just given us great metaphors. You know, it's the website, it's the law firm. Uh, I like to think of the sacraments as 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 something of a divine vitamin. No, I feel so pre- I feel so much pressure right now. So just leave me alone while I think. And and we we need the nourishment that that the all of the components of vitamins bring to life that sustain us and energize us and strengthen us. And basically, um, God has given to uh, the ordained clergy. Uh, a bottle of vitamins, and it's called the grace of God. And you come to him, and he dispenses a divine vitamin for you that infuses you. And it's almost as if grace is a stuff. It's almost a quasi-physical reality that can be dispensed and infused into a person very much like uh, when you take a vitamin, the way it works for you physically, so the grace works for you spiritually. So uh, there's my, uh, we've got that actually a website, well. law firm, and now we've got a, a vitamin disp- uh, dispensing and, of vitamins. And people can actually add vitamins to the cup by the, tre- the treasury of merit, right? Sure. Well, what you said, Sam, it works really well because amongst the seven sacraments, as we've discussed previously, the pinnacle, the supreme sacrament is the taking of the body and blood. It is to coming to the priest to receive the vitamin. Yeah, which a Protestant would say, you don't need the vitamins. What you really need is just the inoculation. You need the the one time shot in the butt, basically that uh, that of Jesus that oh forever rids everything. Oh, yeah. Now we're into a doctor's office, <laughs> Michael. You're really gonna have to come up with yeah, some creative imagery I'm, or I'm metaphor. Like, you, I, I'm you think cars? You're probably cars are super. Well, I'm just trying to pull all of you all together. So. All right. Well, let's come back to answer your question. Okay. okay. And maybe the best way to do it is uh, with the help of Thomas Aquinas, the greatest of all Roman Catholic theologians. Aquinas said there was an analogy. You, you yield that much over to them. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he's ours too. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I like Thomas. Okay. I, I'm going to see Thomas in heaven. I'm convinced. Well, well that'll just, probably just get you some emails. Just call him a Catholic theologian. Yes, yes. I won't see him in heaven because he'll be too close to Jesus. Ah. Uh. Nice try at humility. (laughs) Aquinas said there's an analogy between physical and spiritual life that's mirrored in the sacraments. So, for example, in physical life, we're born, we get strong, we need constant nourishment, we need recovery from illness, we need to propagate the species, we need authority and guidance over our lives, and then we die. So he said each of the seven sacraments corresponds to each of these stages of life. So, for example, we're born again in baptism as infants. We're strengthened by confirmation. We're nourished by the Eucharist. We recover from spiritual illness by doing acts of penance. We propagate the species by marriage. We're under the authority of the ordained clergy, and we're prepared for death by extreme unction. Mm. So it's, J.J. was right. It's womb to tomb. It's the church basically saying, we have what it takes for you from the moment of your birth to the time of your death to sustain you and strengthen you uh, so that you can enter in 
to initially purgatory and finally the presence of Christ. And we do this by dispensing to you this grace of God as if, as if it were a divine vitamin at every stage of life. And each of the sacraments is designed to accomplish that in its own way. So whenever you are born, you get baptized, ideally. I mean, a lot of I mean, Catholics obviously do baptize adults as well who are, con, uh, who are uh, converts. But ideally, let's say you're born, you're baptized. The first act of grace is necessary to remove the original sin, right? right. The guilt of Adam's sin is wiped clean in okay. the waters of baptism. And you're born again. Okay. There's the there's the so there's the forgiveness of and the cleansing of origin of the guilt of original sin and regeneration or the new birth. Your, so the, your final address is certain. It's just a question of how long it takes you to get there. Let's go. Let's keep on going to the why stage, JJ, and think about this. Okay, so you've got you're you're two three years old now. You've still got the remission of Adam's sin. You're still born again. When do you need confirmation? I imagine. The idea here, I mean, we can obviously just consult an official when you need confirmation, but the idea here is probably whenever you approach the time where you are held accountable for your own sin or your own belief, you can believe, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's confirmation. What are you confirming? You're confirming now. I mean, I cannot believe whenever I was an infant, but now that at some point in my life I come and I say, hey, I actually believe this stuff. And I'm, I'm a part of the church, and I, I believe uh, in Jesus, and I make the great confession. So now the church has the grace to come in and confirm you. Now, I don't understand the grace there because that doesn't really make any sense. What's the it grace? It is interesting. Added. In a culture of mediation, you can't do any of these things without the church. Yeah. They're not just there to recognize what's transacting between you and Jesus. They're there to actually make sure it passes from Jesus to you. Yeah. So confirmation. Are we getting this right? Yep. You, you and, guys, then, and then the Eucharist. Then the Eucharist is, uh, this is in a life stage. If you're doing life stages, I guess the last, you jump from here to death, but this is an ongoing one, right? right? So this is one to expect to have all the time. So now the Eucharist, after you've been confirmed, now this is something that you come to in order. This is a good deal for the vitamins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right. in the, the first communion is a big deal. You know, I mean, that right. is a, a, that's a, a stake in the ground. Well, that one might be your confirmation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- yeah, those things kind of, the first communion then takes you into really just the normative life of the and church. The saving, forgiving grace of Christ is infused into you by ingesting the physical body and blood of Christ. But why do you need the saving, forgiving grace of Christ in the Mass if you have already done your, we, we haven't gotten a penance yet, but we've already done the penances. We have no mortal sin on our soul. Um the mass, I guess, can take away a mortal sin, but I've never heard of that. I only heard of that's a good question because baptism is instrumental in the Catholic view. Baptism does it. You're, yeah, you're well, in, right? Well, the huge difference, though, is where a Protestant would believe when we say, "Oh, your sins are paid for." We view past, present, future. All sins are just blown away by Jesus on the cross. Uh, but in this system, though, your past sins are what's what are taken care of. So you continually have to go every week. Yeah, uh, I know that back. mass. You you take mass. You take the body and blood of Christ, and it and it makes you more Christ-like. Yeah, but then you have to go back next week because you will commit sins between that time period and next week. Right. Michael's asking a question. Sam, maybe you can answer it. In other words, I just answered it. Are you? <laughs> I thought he might get out. That was a good answer. <laughs> but in a sense, a, a Catholic who's gone through baptism and confirmation but has not yet taken the physical body and blood of Christ into himself, 
how, how is that Catholic viewed in between baptism, confirmation, and prior to receiving the communion? Are they, are they all the way saved? Are they, are they not quite there? Well, they're born again, and so, yes, but, you know, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure how I would answer, how a Catholic would answer that. But, uh, again, it, the temporal punishments of their sin must be addressed or they'll spend forever in purgatory. So, so in that sense, their first communion is really no different than last rites in the sense of it's just, it's, it's getting rid of what's gotten backlogged. Well, last rites seems is going <laughs> to, we may need to slow down, walk through this, but last rites seems like it's going to talk more just about getting the rest of the, if they're just in case there's any mortal sin on your soul, you know, we got to get that taken care of and just prepare you for heaven or really most people who are preparing you for purgatory. Mm. But the the thing in the Catholic church is, is whenever I go to mass, I'm becoming more Christ-like, but I'm not necessarily having any mortal sins forgiven. Now, the idea is you can have mortal sins forgiven through that, or it can take care of a lot of stuff, but it makes you more Christ-like. And I'm like, how much more Christ-like do I need to be? And they say, well, that will take away time in purgatory. So really the mass, whenever it comes down to it, because penance prime, the next one, penance is the primary goal is to get rid of these moral sins. The mass is to keep you as close to Christ-likeness as possible so that you don't have to spend a lot of time in purgatory. If I just missed mass all the time, not only would I have mortal sins, tons of them that I'd have to do penance for, but I'd be so far down the road of Christ-likeness that I'd have to spend however long in purgatory. That does that help to... me. If, if I'm not constantly, I've jotted it down in front of me on paper just to remind me, if I'm not constantly thinking of temporal and eternal punishment, mm-hmm. the sacraments will constantly confuse me, yeah. it sounds like, yeah. because but, yeah. my eternal punishment was taking care of a baptism, but I've constantly got to be weeding in the garden and taking care of my temporal punishment. Yeah. But what you have to remember is if someone, I think most people would say, most Roman Catholics would say, you guys are dissecting this too closely because if you have someone who has been who has been baptized and has yet, has yet to take First Communion and dies, I mean, you're talking about the death of a child, really, or like a 10, 11-year-old. So, so they're not going to probably have this ton no, of no. sin to pay for. No. You know, I mean, you're not, it'd be the same that we would talk today. I mean, you're not talking about a 30-year-old man that dies and never took Communion and Mass. I mean, that's not going to well, happen. Let's put it this way, then. We'll say that, um, that uh, the Mass primarily takes care of the the uh, your own venial sins. Mm-hmm. Then penance. Describe penance real quick. Well, my understanding, maybe, maybe, maybe we're thinking differently here, Michael. My understanding is that um, what happens in the Mass is that the, the benefits and the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice is made real and present to you to bring forgiveness of your mortal sin and to secure your eternal salvation, and that penance is designed primarily for you to address um, the venial sins and the temporal punishments huh. that fall your way. And thus, um, penance is not designed to secure your place or your salvation. It is designed to diminish the punishment uh, that you are due because of the venial sins that you have committed. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, going to a priest to ask forgiveness. What do we call that? I mean... That is part of penance as well, right? Right. right. The whole confession. confession. Yeah. And yeah. so whenever we're talking about penance, we're talking about <clears throat> we're talking about kind of this broad thing of of being able to have both of them forgiven. Right. Yeah. You 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 um, you drop the excuse me you drop the f bomb at your boss or your wife, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you feel deep conviction and guilt. So you go to the Catholic priest says, "Father, I have sinned. I used a bad word." 
and the father says, well, um, um, say three Hail Marys, uh, work next Saturday morning in the, uh, the church uh, garden, uh, serve the orphans for two months, and uh, you are and, and you will basically eliminate the, the temporal punishment uh, that, that is due unto you. The problem, as we said earlier, is you can never fully pay down your temporal debt. That's why there's purgatory. Yeah. So let's move on. Then following that, of course, is marriage. Uh, it's a sacrament. And then, which not everybody will necessarily take place. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah, two of the two sacrament. of the seven, you only get to pick one. They cancel just, each other out. It, right? It's yeah, nice ordination thing. is. It's is, a nice thing you get to have done here on the earth. So it is the grace. And ordination is a special grace that is dispensed to the ordained clergy, by which they then are authorized to dispense the vitamins. Don't we spend an entire time on holy orders? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then lastly, of course, is extreme unction, preparation for death. Let me, before we end, here's a very important question that we as Protestant evangelicals need to answer. We're, we're talking about sacraments. Is it okay for a Protestant to refer to the Lord's Supper and baptism as sacraments, or should we call them ordinances? Because I use the word sacraments, but I always explain what I mean. And sometimes people get really upset by that. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, and then I say, I'm look, upset right now. Yeah. <laughs> I say it's a sacrament in the sense that it's an instrument by which the sanctifying grace and presence of the Holy Spirit is made applicable to us. But I don't believe the saving grace comes our way through a sacrament. Mm. And so uh, I know that a lot of uh, evangelicals are, are, are skittish about using the word sacrament and we use the word ordinance because they don't want to be thought. Oh, yeah. you're moving toward the Catholic Church. But yeah. that's another that's an interesting question. I think but, if you define your terms, you're okay. All right. Well, hopefully we've defined our terms here <laughs> today and uh, been a benefit well, to we've the, danced to around the them, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll continue this next week. Theology Unplugged is presented by the Credo House. For more information on the Credo House, visit www.credohouse.org.